Many of you know that I spent just a whole lot of my life camping professionally. I don't like sleeping on the ground. Even though my wife has set us up a really nice sukkah and it's, in the great scheme of things, not that uncomfortable, the fact is I really don't like sleeping on the ground. And so that was sort of coloring my whole attitude towards Sukkot because I was grumpy and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about and realized that my grumpiness was in fact directly contrary to what God commanded so I had to rebuke myself and repent and so forth and I did. What I want to do is talk to you about joy because this is the season of joy and as I say I was not being very joyful, which is why I had to rebuke myself. Joy is sometimes difficult. Anybody paying attention to the political scene? It's very hard to be joyful in light of what's going on in the country. It's very hard to be joyful as we watch the things that are happening to the country. Ecclesiastes is really good to read at this time, which is why the rabbis have set that up. Because what Ecclesiastes does is it gives you perspective on the things that are going on. And the place I'm going to fetch up most of my time is Ecclesiastes 3, the famous, a time to be born, a time to die. For those of you who are old enough, it used to be a popular song. What that says is that all of the stuff that happens in this world is necessary. And the way I would describe it, and Ecclesiastes says it better than I will, but I'll use this analogy. Life is like riding a merry-go-round. You go around and around the merry-go-round. You're not actually making any progress, but as you go around, the murals change, and you sort of get the impression that you're actually making progress, but you're not. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is all people need the same kinds of experience in order to become what God wants them to be. So every generation goes through war and peace. I was just thinking the United States, you know, we had the Revolution, then we had the Civil War, then we had the Indian Wars, then we had World War I, then we had World War II, then we had Korea, then we had Vietnam. Then, I mean, there's just constant cycling of war and peace. And that goes back as far as humanity goes. There's never any permanent peace, there's never any permanent war, because everybody has to go through that in order to become what God wants you to be. Same thing, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Well, thank God your entire life is not weeping. But also thank God your entire life is not laughter because you need both of those in order to develop into what God wants you to be. I've said this lots of different ways, lots of times. Many of you have heard this many times before, but this creation is a machine. And it's a machine to turn human beings into sons of God. And in order for that to work, there has to be all of these experiences every generation. So the generation of David, David had wars. David had peace. David had sorrow. David had joy. We have war. We have peace. We have joy. We have sorrow. The mural on the merry-go-round changes, 
But the horses keep going in a circle because we need to go in that circle. It's important for us. And what God says is, as you are going in that circle, what you want to do is be joyful. I didn't read all of the time, too. We all just heard it. But I want to move down to 3.10. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So what God has done is he has put eternity into the heart of man so you realize that there is more to your existence than the merry-go-round. Because if all you see is the merry-go-round, life becomes pretty futile. And, And the preacher figures that out. And in fact, he says, the wiser you are, the worse it is, because you can see that you're not making any progress. The horses are just keeping going around in a circle. At least somebody dull thinks that perhaps he's making progress. But the wiser you are, the more obvious it becomes, no, you're just on a merry-go-round. And God has put in your heart eternity so you can see that there is more than the merry-go-round, more than the changing murals on the wall of the funhouse. Verse 12. Perceiving that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. The gift of God to us is the capacity to be joyful. Now, in our culture, we tend to confuse joy and happiness. Those are two different concepts. You can tell because they're spelled differently, right? Happiness is an emotion. Emotions come and go. And they're designed to come and go. Sort of my favorite example is when Kay and I had our first child. I was in the delivery room, and you know, those of you who have been in a delivery room, especially you women, know that that's a pretty intense time, and it is, quite frankly, not especially pleasant. And once Matthew, our first, was born and he was put on her chest, her entire mood changed, and she just got, wow, let's do this again. (laughs) Now, some might think that's less than rational, but that was her reaction. Emotions change. She was going through this very intense time and, and very uncomfortable time, and then when that was done and she had the new life, it was, wow, let's do this again. So the whole purpose of that was joy, not happiness, not sorrow. As I say, they're two different concepts. Now, you've all heard the old preacher's cliche that the Bible says, fear not 365 times once for every day, and you've all heard that, right? You haven't heard that? Oh, well, now you have. (laughs) If you count the fear nots in the Bible, I have never done it. I did count joy. And joy is in there 389 times. It's a major theme in the Bible. It is probably the major theme in the Bible. And for those of you who say salvation is the major theme, I, okay, I'll, I'll buy that too. But the point is, joy is a major thing. And furthermore, God commands joy. Now that's an interesting concept. Let's look at Leviticus 23, which is 
the instructions for the time of the year we are in. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. That was why I had to rebuke myself, because I hadn't been rejoicing for seven days. As I said, I've been grumpy because what I was thinking is, okay, I could go out in the backyard and sleep in a tent. I don't like sleeping in a tent. And that was sort of consuming me, and that was wrong. But God commands you to be joyful. Now, if joy were an emotion, it would be impossible for God to command you to feel it. The fact that he commands you to be joyful means that there is something that you have control over here that you can do. Because if you didn't have any control over it, it would be totally futile for him to command you to do it. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28, 45. Remember, this is the blessing and the cursing part of it. All these curses shall befall you. They shall pursue you and overtake you until you are wiped out because you did not heed the Lord your God and keep the commandments and the laws that he enjoined upon you. They shall serve as signs and proofs against you and your offspring for all times, because you would not serve the Lord your God in joy and gladness over the abundance of everything. Again, if this is something that you don't have control over, like an emotion, then... It doesn't do any good to command you to be joyful. It doesn't do any good to punish you if you're not joyful. So you have control over this. Now, let's look at James. James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So again, there is a commandment there to rejoice. And furthermore, the commandment is to rejoice in times of trial. So that indicates that you have a choice about this. I was reading Lord Sachs a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about Sukkot and joy and so forth. And he had an insight that I hadn't thought of before, which is why he's the chief rabbi and I'm not. He's a whole lot more learned than I am. And he said, happiness is individual Joy is communal. Because all of the times that God commands you to rejoice, it is always in the context of a gathering. So we're supposed to gather this week, spend the night in Sukkah, and we come in here in the evenings and have a meal together, and we're going to have a feast tonight, and we're going to have Simcha Torah on Monday. And the whole purpose is to rejoice as a community. Because there's people like me that are grumpy. And I really need y'all's help to get me lifted back up to where I'm supposed to be and where God tells me to be. So the idea here is that it's a community activity. Joy is a weapon. I'll give you an example, Proverbs 17.22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. As we're dealing with the stuff that's going on in politics, and this is not going to be a political sermon, understand that joy is your primary weapon against whatever transpires. Because one of the things you can be sure of is regardless of who wins, 
there is still going to be government corruption. There is still going to be oppression. All those kinds of things are not going away. Remember the merry-go-round I was telling you about? David had wars. We have wars. That's not going away. The preacher talked about corruption, you know, government corruption. And by the way, I'm one who believes that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, which means he's the king. If anybody should be able to fix government corruption in Israel, it should be the king. And he says, I can't fix it. Corruption exists. People are oppressed. People are still oppressed. And your weapon against that is joy. Because what joy does is allows you to have a perspective that is eternal as opposed to a perspective that is local on the merry-go-round. And as you're going through, the trials of this life pop up and combat the trials with joy. Because that's the gift that God has given you. And don't confuse happiness with joy. Two different concepts. Now, why would you not feel joy? Well, the one reason I've just talked about. The world has trapped you. You have become so enmeshed in the things that are going on in the world, and they are nodding up your stomach, and that's the thing that you are paying attention to, and that's the only thing in your world. So if the world traps you like that, it will destroy your joy. So that's why I'm saying you have this sense of eternity. And the second one is pride. Pride will mess up your sense of joy big time. Now, there's a couple of things about pride. The first one is, of course, you don't get what you want. You don't get what you think you deserve. All those kinds of things. Notice the focus is me. Things aren't going my way. I'm not getting the stuff I deserve. They aren't doing the things the way I think they should be doing. That's all pride. And if you get wrapped up in that, it will steal your joy. And that's the purpose of Ecclesiastes, is to allow you to pop up over that and realize there are going to be things in this world that are not going to go well. That's by design. That's not a bug, that's a feature. God designed it that way because everybody needs that. Every generation needs that. So if you get all wrapped up in your pride and you try and bend the world to your will, it will steal your joy because you're not going to be able to succeed. One of the things that the preacher said is God has put eternity into man's heart, but he has set it up so that you can't ever figure it out. That's literally what that says. Put eternity in your heart, but he set up the world so you can't figure it out completely. And then we go on and have these examples of a righteous man who gets punished like the wicked and and all those kinds of things. And the wise author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, recognizes all those things. And he says, I can't figure some of this out. And you can't either, by the way. So if your pride gets in the way and you think that the world ought to be some way that it's not, it will steal your joy. It truly will. And what I'm saying to you is God commands joy so it is your job to guard your joy. That ought to be something that you seriously pay attention to. Now, I said joy is communal, not individual. Happiness is individual. I mean, you can be happy, you can be sad, and that's all inside of you. Joy requires community, and the reason joy requires community is because we need to be reminded to be joyful. And that's why we all gather here together. 
That's why we talk about this. That's why we celebrate God's feast. And by the way, every one of those feasts, God tells you to rejoice, doesn't he? So you need constant reminders because the world is designed to steal your joy if you let it. And again, that's not a bug, that's a feature. Because remember what James says. Let me read it for you exactly. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So all of the things in this world which are designed, if you will, to steal your joy are by way of test and development. Joy is a response to love. What did God say in Deuteronomy 28? I'll read it to you again. Because you would not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness over the abundance of everything. Why did God give Israel an abundance of everything? Because of his love. He loves his people. He wants them to prosper. But what happens is we get all this stuff, and one of the things we discover is that the amount of stuff we don't have is without limit. So I've got a wonderful crop here, but I don't have a Porsche and a Rolex watch. I mean, how can I be happy with enough food to eat if I don't have a Porsche and a Rolex watch? Huh? You don't understand, God. I'm supposed to have the Porsche and the Rolex watch. I mean, you know, this... All this abundant food and stuff, that's very well, but there's always something you lack. And so what God is giving you is what you need, and what he wants you to do is rejoice in that. And that's hard, because the world is telling you, you really need a Porsche and a Rolex watch, or whatever your particular thing is. The world keeps telling you that. This is what you really want. God is giving you what you actually need. So, joy should be a response to love. God loves you, and he wants you to respond to him in joy, even during trial. Joy is a state of being. I've described this this way for a long time, and I kind of like it. Joy and peace are twins. And the way I describe it is, joy is peace in action, and peace is joy at rest. It's the same mechanism. So as you go through this season, and God has you on the merry-go-round, and his seasons, the the seven feasts and, and so forth, are all designed to remind you to be joyful. Because it's really easy as you go through life and the world grabs a hold of you, it's really easy to lose track of the fact that you're supposed to be joyful. So what God does is he provides opportunities for you to be joyful. And not leaving it to our lightning-fast minds, not only does he provide opportunities, but he says, "Uh, here, be joyful, right there. This is an opportunity for you to be joyful. And this is one of those opportunities. So, for those of you who have been grumpy about sleeping on the ground, knock it off and be joyful. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com slash purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.